If you are a car buff, and especially if you like lots of power, you have probably heard of superchargers. Patented back in the 1860s, superchargers increase the pressure of air supplied to an internal combustion engine. The more oxygen an engine gets, the more fuel is burned. And when more fuel is burned, the car goes faster. Much faster. Superchargers give a motor 46% more horsepower and 31% more torque. They give ordinary cars extraordinary performance. Wouldn't it be wonderful if preachers could supercharge their sermons? If ordinary pastors could speak God's word with extraordinary effect? Would you like to preach or like your preacher to deliver a more powerful life-impacting message this Sunday and every Sunday? Then join Nathan Norman, Kent Edwards, and Vicki Hitzkiss as we learn from Acts 6 how the apostles were able to preach powerful, life-changing sermons and how others can too. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, as we join their discussion. People often joke that while a pastor's salary may be modest, the hours are great. After all, they only work one hour a week. <laughs> Nathan, you're laughing, but I'm not sure you're laughing in agreement. Um, what, what keeps pastors busy every week? I don't even know. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's a variety of things. It's people, it's relationships, it's discipleship, it's uh, preparation for uh, the sermon, it's serving out in the community. And it's, there's a lot of hats that the pastor wears, whether you're in a large church or a small church. And actually the smaller church, the more hats, you know, I know pastors who are also the janitor of the church and, and they yeah. have to do a lot of, a lot of the things that, uh, that most people don't even know get done. Oh, you have to counsel, you have to marry, you have to bury. Yeah. You have to do everything. Yeah. And I will say that one of the things just to uh, your point is that, you know, I started my first ministry in a very small church and I, I literally did cut the grass. I had to type the bullet and I couldn't type. <sighs> I was back in the day, I used two fingers and about a gallon of whiteout for every bulletin. It was, it was, it was just brutal. And the, the lie I kept telling myself is if I get into churches where they grow, I'll get staff and that'll make life easier. And the more the church grew and the more staff that came, the more work there was and mm. different kinds of challenges that, uh, yeah, there's no. Um, and for our listeners that yeah. are unaware of why Kent would need whiteout, that was because back then they didn't have computers. <laughs> they used it on a typewriter. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that age reference. You're welcome. Just, but imagine when I think of how busy every pastor is and overwhelmed with responsibilities often. I think of how much worse it must have been for the early apostles. I mean, remember back in chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Acts, we read that in those days, what was happening? Oh, all kinds of people were getting saved, like thousands at a time, and they wouldn't have known 
anything. And they would have been hungry and excited. I think of, I think of my friends when they first get saved, they're just so eager and they want to learn and hear. And they would have followed them around like rock groups, like groupies, you know, and they would have wanted to know all kinds of things. That's a great image. <laughs> <laughs> and after Peter's first sermon, how many responded? Well, 3,000. 3,000 people. And at the end of chapter 2, it says the Lord continued to add to their number daily those are being saved. Hmm. So, I mean, just think of this from a logistics perspective. The first time you get together, no one's got any understanding of how to do church, right? Because the church is just starting. So the apostles who were not, you know, trained in logistics and uh, organization um, uh, management. They had been fishermen or you know, tax collectors or the like, but they were not in charge of a lot of things. And you've got to organize all those people on a Sunday morning. And Nathan, just think about it. Imagine the church you're in now. I mean, this reason to be well organized, right? People yeah. know where they're going. They've Absolutely. got classes. You've got facilities. So imagine that you got a thousand new people next week. Oh, we're in trouble. I don't even know what to do. <laughs> and it's cold out. So I can't even say, oh, we're having church outside. <laughs> <laughs> do we have to go to multiple services? If we do, then what do we do with childcare? And what do we do with, I mean, all those issues existed then as today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not sure if it's worse than a church in decline, but a church in rapid growth is a real hassle. And no microphones. Imagine that. And no microphones. You got to yell. You've got to, ugh. And if you had coffee enough for last Sunday, you don't have enough for this Sunday. And uh, it just sets you up for all kinds of issues. So yeah, when I come to Acts chapter 6, and it says in those days the number of disciples was increasing, yeah, I feel that. But it gets worse than that, right? Because what else do we learn in verse 1 of chapter 6? It's that people don't get along. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained <laughs> against the Hebraic Jews. Remind us what that means. So you've got the Jewish people who are more towards like a Greek education, they've They've Hellenized, so they've become part of the, the Greek, Greco-Roman culture. And then you have those who have kept their culture very Hebraic, so they're very Jewish in all of their practices. And uh, they've both come to faith in Christ, but their culture now clashes. Yeah. Do you think culture clash uh, would elevate the stress level in the church? It always has. Absolutely. <laughs> In America, we've got uh, have culture clashes between blacks and whites historically. That's that's certainly happened, but it happens in every culture uh, between cultures. I know I live and teach out in the Southern California area, and um, a lot of my students happen to be Korean background. Well, the difference between a first generation Korean and a second generation Korean is immense. How so? In a first generation, the, the senior pastor has all the authority and everyone does what they're told. And that's fine. They understand that. Uh, that's the way it works. The senior pastor gives the marching orders and everyone else is quiet and, and does what they're told. They have a shame-based culture. So if there's a problem, they tend to cover it up. They will tend to minimize it so no one is offended. Oh, but second generation. Ah, they've lived in America for a while. They've become, as you were saying, Nathan, almost Hellenized. So what do they want? Um, they want more democratic leadership. They want a say and participate, participate in what's going on. And um, again, they're more individualistic. So yeah, no, uh, they're more likely to, if a brother sins against you, 
go to them directly. I mean, that's just some examples. There's, there's huge differences between cultures. And no culture fully understands why the other culture is different. Hmm. Because culture, in my understanding, is the unquestioned assumptions of how life is best lived. And because they're unquestioned assumptions, when you see a different culture, you think they're crazy or- Wrong. Wrong or wrong. immoral. Wrong. Right. So you've got this conflict going on. The, the Greeks and the, uh, and the Jewish background people are in conflict. What is the source of this conflict? Their backgrounds. The Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. So they're all coming together. They're kind of living this, this communal life in Christ together. And yet some of the widows are not being given food. Yeah, and the Jewish ones seem to be getting more, right? Isn't that the complaint? That is the complaint. Oh my goodness, why would you give them more food than we are? I mean, after all, is that because they're part of this Abrahamic thing and we're not? And now you've got a re slight religious division beginning. And uh, if you really want to understand the pressure, realize it's widows who are making this. That makes it more complicated. For one thing, uh, widows, uh, they don't have families to look after. So they got lots of time to talk and complain and, and talk about others. But they've got the high sympathy factor in the church, right? So everybody cares about them. I mean, gee, they're widows. They don't have anyone to provide for them. We should be looking after them more than ever. Woo. And can't you just imagine what they might be saying? Jesus fed the 5,000. These apostles are starving us. If only we could have people more like Jesus. I mean, you've got probably this kind of undercurrent going on. It's a, it's a, it's a problem. How would we respond in that situation? I mean, what would be a gut response if you're leading a church and you've got this hassle going on? You've got structural problems, and now you've got these widows who are complaining about food. I'm going to Sam's Club. I'm buying all the food that I can, and I'm bringing it over and giving it <laughs> to the people who are complaining immediately. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, well, well I light, like you, light, lighten up on him. I've, I've felt like they did. Um, my husband left, and I was not invited to widows' meetings at our church. And I felt very <laughs> slighted because I felt like I was in a worse place than the widows because their husbands died loving them, and my husband left. Mm. And I thought, mm -hmm. how dare you not include me in this? And I did not complain, but I thought, how insensitive. I feel like you guys are being insensitive. <laughs> I, I do. I, you know, here are these women, and they don't have anyone to look after them, and other people are being favored over them. And, you know, whining doesn't do you any good, but somebody's got to speak up. Yeah, which is why I'm immediately running to Sam's Club, and I'm getting everything that they want. All right. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, and I'll go one step further, Nathan. You're more spiritual than me. I'm going to deliver all that food at their front door, and I'm going to take a selfie at the same time, and I'm going to post it on the internet. <laughs> World's most caring pastor. Um, uh, that's what I'm going to do. And to your point, yeah, I'm not saying that they didn't have an unjust uh, or a, a right to, uh, to complain, but it was clearly an issue. You know, I want to give the apostles a break. Uh, did I mention they're, they're increasing by thousands of people? How do you keep everything organized as well they're as you busy. can? Yeah, they're busy. Yeah. And all, they don't have the structure in place. Uh, so what did they do? They didn't go to Sam's Club. They didn't take a selfie. What did they do in verse 2? 
Well, it says the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on us. Uh, so what did they do? They first called a congregational meeting. So, Nathan, would that have been your first response? Incredibly Baptist. That is the correct <laughs> response. <laughs> no, because I, at least I wouldn't. That wouldn't have been my first response because I would think, yeah, I feel like I should have been looking after them better. Um, sure. How can we do this? Um, and if I bring it to a whole group, we could have people. I mean, it could, it could throw gasoline on the fire. Mm -hmm. But no, they did something different. They gathered all the disciples together. And said, remind me that again, Vicki, what did they say? It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. And if I had been there, That's... I would have said, what do you think the ministry of the Word of God is? <laughs> <laughs> is it words or is it actions? Right. No question. And I think I almost hear some uh, strong pushback here. Don't you, Nathan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, uh, well, they, there would have been someone like Vicky in the crowd who would have said, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? So you're just going to let these women starve? That's they right. said, but it would not be right to neglect the mystery of the word to become a waiter. Ooh, that's strong. And they said, but they did have a solution. What'd they say next? It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That's fine. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's all that's fine with me. So as long as they're not just going, you know what? This isn't our problem. That's their problem. Yeah, there could still be some complaints because... Um you know, when someone um, has a significant need, um, do you really want the uh, junior associate youth pastor? Or would you <laughs> like the senior pastor to come? I mean, you think I'm not worthy of that? You think I'm not, don't deserve that? Um, well, they need to get over that. To send an unordained person over. Yeah, they need to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I agree. But I'm just saying mm -hmm. that as a pastor, I've faced that many times, that only you will do. But they said, no, we won't. We're going to meet the need, but we are going to delegate. We personally will not do it because we're going to give our attention full time to what? Prayer, to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the ministry of the word. Uh-huh. Huh. Unceasingly. Full time. So they're not saying we're going to send them so we can spend more time watching television. They said, we have a priority that only we can fulfill. And that is prayer and ministry of the word. It says prayer. I know what that means. Um, it's when we talk to God. The ministry of the word phrase is interesting because if you look at it in the original, it really uses the word logos. So does it mean they're going to give their attention to prayer and uh, st uh, study of the word? Yeah, that could mean that. Does it mean they're going to give themselves to prayer and preaching of the word? Because logos could be used for that, but it's not the most common word, of course. I look at that and I say, I think Luke deliberately used an ambiguous word because he meant both of those things would happen. He wanted to, he was saying that uh, they spent time in prayer, speaking to God, about the word that they studied, 
I think that's called meditation all through the Bible. As the psalmist says in Psalm 1, they were meditating on that day and night, not just not just studying it, but they were praying about it, meditating on it, asking God questions. And out of that then came their preaching ministry. They were giving themselves to this action. Why would they do that? Why would the disciples say, we can't just do everything that's expected of us. We have to carve out significant time for prayer and ministry of the word. We need the Holy Spirit's help. I think it's true for pastors today. It is not easy to read the word of God and just get it. It's just not. And if you look at the disciples' history, they were with Jesus and they didn't get it. He would like say to their face, here is what I'm saying to you. And they were like, (laughs) you know, Vicki, you're so right. I mean, there are times I have read through the Gospels and I've said, guys, how could you be so dumb? I'm going to die and rise again. No, you're not going to die. I just said it. Jesus knew they needed help. That's why in the Gospel of John, especially, he emphasizes that. In chapter 14, verses 16 and following, he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. By counselor, he doesn't mean therapist. He means a tutor, someone who will help you and guide you. And he says something similar in John 16, doesn't he? He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Hmm. So Jesus says his ministry of teaching to the disciples will continue after he's gone post Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. And it's true in the Bible that not only do the disciples need the Holy Spirit to understand God's word fully, but Paul said all Christians need that. He says that in Ephesians chapter 1. Do you remember how he prayed? He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hmm. Why would Paul say that he and the Christians in Ephesus needed the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit? I mean, come on. He, wouldn't you say he knew Greek well? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Didn't he know Hebrew well? Absolutely. Didn't he know the geography well, the culture well, the history of Israel well? Yeah. I mean, couldn't you argue that he's arguably, if he was alive today, the world's leading scholar in um, biblical texts? Absolutely. I mean, he was a Pharisee. They could take a scroll from the Old Testament, pass a pin through it, and he would be able to tell you every single letter that the pin passed through. No way. That's how well they knew the scriptures. They knew the scriptures better than you and I (laughs) and all of us, all the listeners combined. They understood them inside out. And that entire, what? that entire understanding, his understanding of the scriptures better than all of us put together forever and all eternity, led him to the conclusion <laughs> that Jesus was not the Messiah and he should kill his followers in service to God. 
right? So all of slightly that, wrong. So right? all yeah. So all all of that human understanding that he had uh, just just came up bankrupt. He he understood the scriptures from a human standpoint, but he understood that apart from the Holy Spirit, he couldn't fully understand, and uh, and he couldn't come to the correct conclusions. So it's impossible for us to reach a full understanding of the Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. So that means as pastors, Bible teachers of whatever kind, we need to study the Bible to discover the big idea that the Holy Spirit had the author communicate to the original audience. And we need to ask for God's help to give us insight into that text to help us go beyond a superficial understanding that any pagan could get and say, what is the deep significance of this? Um, I find myself asking questions like, God, why was this truth so important to these people? Why is it so important for my people today? Why is it so important for me? I mean, why in your sovereignty have you had me wrestle with this text today? What do I need to learn from that? And what difference does this truth make for my listeners? How does this passage fit with the passages around it? God, give me insight. That, to me, that's, that's, that's prayer that comes out of meditating on the word. I meditate till I've got a problem. I pray to God, will you help me? How long does this take? How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, people will ask me in class, how long does it take to write a sermon? And I just, I try not to respond the way I feel. That's a beginner question. The reality is, when am I ever not thinking about what is coming. Um, as I go through my day, I mean, Paul prayed without ceasing, but he didn't spend all of his time on his knees, right? Right. So he could walk and chew gum. He was doing stuff and also meditating and thinking about what does this mean? What are the implications? And allow the Holy Spirit over time to have a genuine conversation with him. Man, um, does it make a difference? Vicki, does the text tell us that this priority on hearing from the Holy Spirit that the disciples had, did it pan out in the life of the church in verse 7? It, it touched people's hearts and it touched Pharisees' hearts. It said, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So, Nathan, what would you say to the Bible teachers and preachers who are listening to us today based on this text? The priority that these disciples, these early apostles, placed on the role of the Holy Spirit. It is important because it changes you who is going to communicate the word, and it changes your listener. <laughs> Somewhat frustratingly, uh, you know, there's times in our lives where we just wish we could just take a break from God. You know, not go out and sin. It's just like, I just need a break from all of this, especially as a preacher. But the amazing thing is, is 
out of God's love, especially as a pastor, I, I never get that chance. It's like, I don't get a week off from God. I got to preach next week. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> and I know, I know that my congregation is going to know if I just dialed it in, I can never dial it in. And so it forces me, even when I'm frustrated with God and going through difficulties, I have to sit in the text in prayer, uh, asking God, the Holy Spirit to illuminate what this text means. And it beats me up. Sometimes it encourages me, but more often than not, the text beats me up and, and churns me out. And, uh, but then it also uh, allows me from a place of vulnerability and illumination to encourage and inspire the congregation. And I guess, you know, preaching this way for, I don't know, quite some time now, the, the difference that I see is it's totally fundamentally changed me as a person. And I can mm-hmm. actually see the change in other people. I've been able to see the change over years in other people as uh, consistently I have begged God, the Holy Spirit, to sh- show me how to preach this text. Uh, I can go preach it and I can see the change that happens in individuals. You know, every pastor's schedule is so busy. Um, we're tempted because of our schedule and the fact Sunday's coming to go steal a sermon off the internet or rip somebody off. And uh, I would say, please don't do that. Follow the disciples example, train and delegate the responsibilities that are overwhelming to the capable people that God has given you in your flock, train them up like you trained Stephen and others so that they can relieve the load. So you can take advantage of the resources of the Holy spirit. So you can have a message that comes from the Lord and not from your computer screen. Fact is, it is impossible for anyone, for us, to fully understand the Bible without the assistance of God's Holy Spirit. Human intelligence is not enough. No software is adequate. The Holy Spirit is a necessary component of the biblical interpretive process. And friends, quite frankly, he is our secret weapon. The reason why ordinary preachers like you and me can turn our world upside down like they did is because we have access to the tutor. We have access to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's why the ordinary person, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can understand and communicate the truth of God's Word. Because as Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Ah, guys, people supercharged cars so they can do better. We can do better. Forget the mechanics. We've got the Holy Spirit. We can supercharge our messages, our teaching this week because of the Holy Spirit. God's given us this advantage. Let's use it. What can happen when pastors enable capable people to look after the physical needs of the congregation? If they depend on the Holy Spirit, their dependency on prayer and preaching can enable the church to flourish. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. 
You can also support this show by sharing it on your social media, telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the book of Acts. Be sure to join us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if preachers could supercharge their sermons? If ordinary pastors could speak God's word with extraordinary effect. Would you like to preach a more powerful, life-impacting message this Sunday and every Sunday? Well, just send in your checks for $19.99 (laughs) weekly (laughs) to to Crosstalk Global. That's a a recurring payment. (laughs) Right.